Let's hear as God speaks to us in his word from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Well, there was a man um, in the early years of the church and his mom was a faithful woman and, and tried to teach him this faith as well. But he resisted. He thought he was on uh, destined for greater things. He wanted to be a scholar. He wanted to be a lawyer. He wanted uh, to be a sophisticated man of the world. He wanted to go to the big city. He wanted to make a name for himself. Um, he wanted to enjoy all that the world had to offer. And so into his mid and late 20s, he is doing just that, making a name for himself, living uh, the way that every worldly man would have wanted to live. Um, But he found himself struggling, struggling with life, wondering if he should go back uh, to the faith he had learned from his mother. But he still loved the things that the world had to offer so much. He just loved them. And so he was torn. And he would record uh, later that one of his prayers during this time, uh, we would translate it as, Lord, make me chaste or pure, but do not give it to me yet. Right? Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Do you see what he was doing there? He was wanting God to change his heart. Somewhere down the road when he had had all that he could get from the world. And, and one of the traditions of, of those days, um, not a good tradition, but it was to wait to be baptized uh, until you were on your deathbed. And in fact, this is what his own father did. Um, live the life that you want to live and then on your deathbed have a priest come and baptize you and then that would absolve all your sins uh, on your way out. Right, be cleansed at the last minute, but you got to do everything you wanted to do. So this, this prayer, this Lord make me pure but not yet, uh, was, was first prayed by a man uh, we call St. Augustine or Augustine, if you're from Texas. Um, I guess it depends on where you're from. And, and while we think that prayer sounds crazy, uh, from, a, from an observer's perspective, right? What a terrible prayer, right? Give me purity, but, but not yet. Um, I, I wonder if we don't do the same thing in our own lives a lot. Um, do, do we pray for things and then totally do the opposite, right? We, we pray for God's will, but then we resist when it comes. We, uh, we pray for patience and then really don't like the outcome when God gives it to us. We, we pray for humility and then, and then speak against the way in which it happened. 
Have you ever caught yourself in the middle of a prayer praying for something and then realized, I didn't really mean that. I, I'm, I can be guilty of that. I'll pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Am I really thankful for this day? Or did I, am I really just thankful for the food? Or, or, or did I just say that? Right? Bigger things than that that we deal with in our prayers, right? And, and, and I realize most of us are torn, right? Torn between living the way that we know God wants us to and, and living the way that we would maybe choose to on our own if it was up to us. And this morning, James is going to speak about this very issue. And as James has been doing, uh, he's going to do it in a very clear way. Uh, and he, He's going to leave us no doubt uh, about what we're supposed to do. And uh, so we'll work through that together. But uh, let's pray together as we go to the Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that um, it doesn't depend on how we feel. It's not up to us, but it is your truth. God, so help us to hear it this morning. Help us to receive it. Father, would you work in in a way that would change us to know you more and to bring you more glory. I use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in James chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 this morning. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So let me remind you, as we look at this passage, uh, James did not put chapter and verse in this letter, right? He did not say, well, let's start a new chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. He didn't do that, right? He's just writing a letter. Uh, the, the, the numbers in all of that get added centuries uh, later. James is simply in the midst of a long letter uh, to the churches around him. So, so this week's passage 
um, should be seen directly connected uh, to, to last week's. And so let me just quickly mention uh, what we saw at the end of chapter 3 last week. We saw that there is such a thing as earthly wisdom and there is such a thing as heavenly wisdom, and they are not compatible, right? Heavenly wisdom is about peace and mercy and, and good fruit that the, that the Spirit gives. But the wisdom of this earth is about jealousy and selfish ambition and boasting. Wanting our own stuff over the things of God. Right? That was kind of the big idea. Right? You, you will show your wisdom by the things that you pursue. And so as if to remind us that godly wisdom is about peace, and that's how the end of chapter 3 says it, right? Um, People who are wise are peacemakers. Uh, To start this new thing, James says, hey, well, so where does does, uh, fighting come from, right? If if the wisdom of heaven is peaceful, then, then where does fighting and conflict come from? Right? And this is an obvious question. This is like a rhetorical question, right? He's being a little sarcastic probably, right? Where in the world could those possibly come from? I, geez, I can't even imagine, right? And he's going to say from our sinful desires that we've just been talking about, right? This fighting and this conflict, guess where it comes from? It comes from the opposite of hev- heavenly wisdom. It comes from your earthly desires. If we didn't have selfish desires, we would have peace, with everyone else. They would have peace with us, right? If all of us had no desires in, of earthly desires, we would always be at peace, which is what, you know, heaven will look like someday. We'll want the things of God, and we will always be at peace. So he says, look, the reason you kill other people is trying to get from others, right? You're trying to get from them. You fight as a struggle to get the things that you want. And then he's going to say, look, you don't, you don't have because you didn't ask God for it. You didn't ask God. This is amazing, right? Wow. The, the, the way for us to get anything we want is to just simply ask God for it? Who knew? And, and there are lots of Christians today who would say simply that, right? Anything that you want in the world, you can have. You just have to ask God for it. But I think it's because they didn't finish the rest of this verse, right, as James is going to keep talking. He says, you, do, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions or to spend it on the stuff that you want. Okay, dang. So maybe we can't just pray and get whatever we want, right? Maybe God isn't just a magical genie with a lamp. But let's just take a minute here and acknowledge that, that, that this passage does a lot of damage to what, to what many call like a, a health and wealth or, or prosperity, uh, you know, world of Christianity that says, look, God wants you to have whatever you want, right? He wants you to have the desires of your heart. So just pray and ask in faith and you're going to get it. You want a Lamborghini? Just pray in faith, and you're going to get one. You want a helicopter? Just be really faithful in, in, in your prayers, and it'll come. God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. All you got to do is pray and just open the doors, and he'll just flood you with it, right? 
But this passage, in fact, is something different, right? It sounds like God does not want us to have everything that we want because our desires too often come from a place of selfishness. This means that our motives matter when it comes to prayer, right? James just says our, our motives, the way we pray and why we pray, they matter. So, as maybe some of you are guilty of doing, right? The times that I prayed, oh Lord, help me to win the lottery. I would give so much to charity, right? I'd help feed so many poor people if you would just help me win the lottery. Maybe if we examine our motives in that, right? They're not quite as pure as we like to let on, right? Because we still want the Lamborghini and the helicopter for our own things. And yeah, maybe we'll feed some people too, right? If we really, if we really talk about our motives, Maybe there's a little bit of selfishness in that. Um, I, I want you to hear this, this prayer by this uh, amazing uh, Christian thinker and philosopher that maybe you've heard of. Uh, his name is Blaise Pascal. Um, and he lived several hundred years ago, but was a, a, a brilliant man. And, and, and I want you to just listen to, to, to this prayer, and then I'll, I'll try to help explain it. Yes, Lord, I confess that I esteemed health as a good, not because it is a means of serving you, but because with it I could exercise less restraints and self-discipline to enjoy the things of this life and to better relish its fatal pleasures. And he goes on for a long time, but he finally kind of finishes up with it, and he says, kind of learned my lesson through that, and so therefore, he says, I pray neither for health nor sickness, life nor death. Rather, I pray that you will dispose of my health, my sickness, my life, and my death as for your glory, for my salvation, for the useful, usefulness of your church and your saints. Do whatever pleases you. And, and so, so, so basically, and it's, a, it's a lot longer thing. I, I just took a few pieces of it. But, but what, what Pascal is saying is, is he's, you know, I, I was praying for good health, but I was praying for good health for selfish reasons, right? Because I didn't want to experience any more pain. Because I didn't want all these other things. Because I wanted the comforts that it would bring, right? I didn't want to acknowledge the limits of my own life and all those other things. And, and he realized I wasn't, I wasn't using that prayer for good health as a, as a way to seek your kingdom, right? God, give me good health so that I can keep serving you. Really, it was more of a selfish prayer. Which means, as he's pointing out here, all of our prayers can be selfish if we're not careful, right? All of our prayers can be selfish. The motives behind any prayer we pray um, can be wrong, right? We can, we can pray for somebody to come to know the Lord, but if it's done for a selfish reason so that we'll get the glory as a great evangelist, that's a selfish prayer. Essentially, Pascal realizes... I need to pray that you do whatever you want in my life because I know that you're going to, I want you to use my life in whatever way is best. And so if that's by me having bad health, there's some reason for the kingdom for that, it's yours. You just do whatever you want and help me to accept it. And that's not fatalism, okay? That is, that is a kingdom mentality to our lives. You give me whatever you want me to have and I will be thankful for it and use it for your kingdom. Right? That's, a, that's a different way to pray, isn't it? 
That's a different way to pray than, than most of us are used to. Right? How do, how do we typically pray? Either out of duty. Right? A lot of times we can pray for somebody else. Hopefully our motives are good in that. But when we pray for ourselves, right, how, how do we slow ourselves down and think through, what, what are the motives of which I'm praying? Because that's what James ma- says matters a lot here. Right? God's not going to give us the evil desires of our heart because it's, it's not serving his kingdom. It's not for the best. God loves us and he wants the best for us, not what we think is best. Okay, so I, I, I got through the easy part of, of this passage. If, if you read and were paying attention, you know what's coming. Because James is going to step it up a notch. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit he has made to dwell in us? In, in the Greek, James calls the readers adulteresses. Adulteresses. Why? Because James is going to make clear that... that, that um, That anything that we want apart from God is an act of rebellion, right? That the way we live our lives is an act of rebellion to him. We could call it an act of infidelity, right? Thus the word adulteresses, right? It's an act of infidelity. Throughout Scripture, God um, depicts himself as a groom, right? And, and that his people are, are his bride, we see this Old and New Testament language, right? Um, over and over, right? The bride is unfaithful to the groom. The groom is always faithful, but the bride over and over again is an adulteress. And so the question here that he's about to ask is, is, is clear and brutal, Right? Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Meaning hatred. To be friends with the world is to be in hatred with God. Meaning, right, in your prayers and your desires, you are choosing the things of the world over the things of God, right? You're showing your allegiance as unfaithful. You're committing adultery to God. What, what have you chosen? If you get, if you get married, right, you, you wear a ring as a symbol of that union. And, and then you don't live in a way that, that honors that union, right? In fact, in a way that contradicts it, right? That's what's happening here, right? He's saying you're not showing faithfulness to what you promised to be. Union with God is wanting the things of God over everything else. And you're not, we're not doing that, he says, right? right? You cannot be in love with the world and say that Christ is your most important thing. You cannot love the world and say Christ is all that matters to you. 
You know, some, some have su- suggested this passage is, is a little bit like going to the doctor and saying, I have this problem, right? And then the doctor gives you the solution, and you go, well, gosh, I don't want that, right? That surgery sounds way too painful. That procedure sounds way too invasive, right? That change sounds way too much work. I don't want it, right? And the doctor would say, well, then what did you come to me for? I, I'm trying to help you. That's kind of a similar thing in this situation. What's the point? You want freedom of the world, but you keep running back to it? Asking for what we don't really want. So again, have you ever prayed like St. Augustine? Lord, help me to have humility. Help me to have patience. Help me to love others. Right? Help, me to, help me to love my enemy. Help me to do your will. But you didn't really mean it. But not really yet, Lord. Because I don't want to be that inconvenienced. I don't want to sacrifice that much. Right? And, and the solution is coming in this passage, but, but it's already been shown somewhat uh, in, the, in that part on prayer that we just saw. And the answer is submission. Prayer is not really about asking for things and trying to get God to do stuff for us. That's never been the point for prayer. Prayer is really about submitting our lives to His. So here we go. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So in these verses... We get 10 quick commands. Boom, boom, boom. Just a to-do list, right? Submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify. There's 10 of them. They're called imperatives in the Greek language. Imperatives, meaning it's a, a strong command to do. And, and, and James is going to use this language to, to, to give us the picture of a, you know, a, a life that is wanting to um, to give up the world and pursue the things of God. You want to do that? Do this. Here it is. Boom, boom, boom. And, and, and this process, when we look at it, it starts and it ends with humility. It's a, to, it's a to-do list bookended by humility. With acknowledging our sin, with admitting that we need Him, with, and, and admitting we can't do it on our own. But it's not, it's not a pleasant process, and it's, it's not one that sounds much like our world today, right? A world that says, I'm okay, you're okay, be proud of who you are, just embrace your identity all the time, no matter what. James has got, in fact, kind of tell us the opposite. You're not okay. No, you're not. I'm not okay. You're not okay. You're unfaithful to your God that you claim allegiance to. 
not something to grieve over. It's something you should want to change and you should want to seek restoration. Our, our world doesn't like messages like this. In, f- in fact, I don't like messages like this. <laughs> this is a, a hard passage. I keep telling to Jordan, why did, we, why did I decide I wanted to do James again? <laughs> why, what in the world are we doing here? Let's stop. I don't think I want to keep going in this because it's bad. It's hard. Right? You guys have it for like 20 or whatever minutes where I'm here. Right? I got to do this for like weeks. I got I to gotta listen to this and think through it. And my enemy of, of God because I have friendship with the world. I have to, this is gut-wrenching stuff. It's hard to hear. It's even harder to try to live out, isn't it? Stop wanting the sinful things of this world, right? Stop being so selfish. How do you and I fix that and do that on our own? The quick answer is that we can't. But it is in the submission of our lives to God that we see something else here. We see a different thing. What was the part in the middle that I skipped? I don't know if you noticed, I skipped one. Right there in the middle it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In the middle of James just punching us in the stomach over and over again about our selfishness and our infidelity, what do we see about God? That he gives grace? What an amazing little thing there that he sticks in the middle for us. And I'm really glad that he did. That when we, we recognize our poverty, when we recognize our need, and we decide to turn around and come home, we, when we turn around, we find this merciful Father standing there who wants us to come home more than we'll ever know. A, a Savior who delights in saving I tend to think of, of Jesus as this begrudging Savior who's really unhappy with me and I'm not enough, but okay, I guess so, come on in. Right? A begrudging Savior. I guess I'll forgive you this time. That's not what we have. We have one who finds joy in saving us. Who finds joy in helping us. Who delights to give us good things. Who loves us so much that he's trying to keep us from the wrong things. And he won't give us them. He doesn't want us to just have our selfish heart's desire. He tries to keep us from them. A God who delights in in, in giving us the best. It wants to give us over and over. It says, ask for good things. I want to give them to you. That's the God that we have in this passage. See, Augustine finally stopped praying selfish prayers like, give me purity, but not yet. Right? Maybe after tonight, let me have purity. He stopped asking those kinds of prayers. He recognized how much he needed, how much he wanted Jesus, in fact. And, and, and our call is to do the same. It starts with humility and submission. Recognizing that we are miserable sinners, that we're not okay, and we need help. 
We need help that the world doesn't know how to give. And a turning to him, drawing near to him in submission. And it's an everyday decision. It's an everyday decision. Sometimes we, we choose it once, but not this week. Maybe next week. It's an everyday decision to draw near, to resist the devil, to submit before him. That's an everyday decision. Draw near to God. Remembering that we serve a Christ who delights in saving us, who loves to show grace and mercy. I love this line. Um, uh, from, the, from the hymn, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless, Lamb of God was He. Sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray. Father, we stray from You. but you laid the iniquity of all of us on your son because of our infidelity, because of our inability to do anything about it, to fix it, to make the situation better. How would you help us to see that, see how much we need you, see how far from you we are to turn to you, not just once, but every day, to submit to you in our in our lives, in our thoughts, in our prayers. It would not be about us and what we want, but a true submission to you. God, break our hearts over our sins, but then heal them through the reminder of a forgiving, loving Savior who delights in saving us. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.